liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe back from freedom fest in las vegas it was an amazing time got to hang out with all the homies spike reed olivia i don't know lots of people got to actually meet and spend a couple hours with kennedy uh who else bunch of people i can't i can't remember everybody's name right now off the top of my head but they are oh robbie suave he's cool as hell uh it was fun it was a lot of fun uh i thought the presentations went really well uh, I thought that uh, the panel with Maj and Spike was the highlight of the week. Anybody that was present for it will be able to vouch for that declaration. It was insane. We had, I think there was five cops sitting in the audience, and I perfectly set up <laughs> Maj and Spike to just just launch into the cops on the U- Uvalde topic. It was hilarious. Uh, Spike went so far as to say, I see a lot of you nodding along with me in here, but how many of you still have a thin blue line sticker on the back of your car? <laughs> the whole room was like, whoa. It was it was the stuff of legends. Uh, so anyways, what I did was, other than being a presenter and also uh, you know hosting that panel with those great legends of the Liberty world, I also had a booth with Reed Coverdale of the Naturalist Capitalist where... Uh, I was able to interview some guests. So this is going to be a four-parter, but they're very brief, uh, like 20 minutes, 15 minutes each, uh, with a number of guests that I wanted to speak to. And I thought that they all came out great. Very, very interesting uh, info and just great discussions generally. So I think you're going to enjoy these a lot. Uh, covers a full gamut of ideas and uh, and opportunities and all sorts of stuff. So I'll let you guys just dig into that. Uh, before I do that, I have a brief little five-minute rant because I'm pretty pissed about seeing the uptick in mask utilization because of the latest, most dangerous variant. Um, so I'll let you hear that in just a second. Before I do that, I want to thank our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Young Americans for Liberty. YAL is the most active and effective pro-liberty youth organization advancing liberty on the campus and in American electoral, electoral politics. Their four-step mission is to identify, educate, train, and mobilize youth activists to make liberty win. They started in 2009 from the Students for Ron Paul campaign. This summer, I will be speaking at YAL's Revolution 2022. Revolution 2022 is the largest liberty event of the year, hosted by their friends at Young Americans for Liberty. They will be over uh, 1,000 liberty warriors at this event with speakers Kennedy, Zuby, Rand Paul, Bruce Fenton, Glenn Jacobs, Brennan Herrera, Spike Cohen, Ron Paul, Dave Smith, and me along it with uh, Reed Coverdale and Mark from Lions Liberty. It's going to be a blast. Uh, I went last year, and it was a great time, and I was able to meet hundreds of them. So it was just a, a great experience. If you haven't been, if you're a college student that's listening uh, and you're a libertarian, uh, I think this would be a great opportunity for you to go meet more like-minded people like yourself. And I look forward to meeting more of you this year. Revolution 2022 is August 4th through the 6th in Orlando, Florida, you can apply to attend at yaliberty.org forward slash revolution. Again, that's yaliberty.org forward slash revolution, or the link will be in the description. Enjoy the show. So as you can tell by my backdrop, I live in Miami, and 
I have at the grocery store, many other places, I've started to see a significant uptick in mask utilization because of the latest variant of COVID. And I got into a squabble with someone on Twitter today, a libertarian, uh, who's very upset with me because I kind of in jest said that uh, I think if you're still wearing a mask after two and a half years of this bullshit, you probably ought to be in an insane asylum. I just wanted to um, explain that position. I think that you should probably be in an insane asylum if you are still wearing a mask after two and a half years of this bullshit. So I hope that helps clarify uh, what I meant by it and my position on it. Whether you have been psyoped or indoctrinated or propagandized or you fully have convinced yourself because you read a quarter of the propagandistic scientific papers about mask utilization uh, or you're just some religious zealot that believes in them without having read a thing, I don't care. I don't care for your explanation or your reasoning behind it. I think that you're insane. Sorry. <laughs> I'm being totally honest, though. Like, I'm going to this grocery store, and I shit you not, I, two weeks ago, almost no mask. Yesterday, 40% probably. I mean, in the great free state of Florida, quote unquote. And I know it's not being mandated, so... Uh, I know a lot of libertarians are going to be like, well, you have the right to do what you want and it's fine. Look, civilization is declining in part because we are no longer seeing each other's faces and we haven't seen each other's faces for many years. We don't have heart to heart you know, connections, contact, conversations. We don't introduce ourselves to strangers when they have masks on. We don't try to interact with them. There is obvious deleterious effects from voluntary masculinization. I'm not saying that I want them to be forced into an insane asylum. I'm saying I think that they ought to be in one. They ought to. I think that they're mentally ill. I do. Sorry. Not really that sorry. I honestly think that people have lost their minds. This is verging on, I mean, not verging on, it's well past the point of hy hypochondria into some other level of dangerousness i feel for them i mean i could still have sympathy for it but the reality is is that like if we don't stop this insanity we're going to have serious problems forever because of it i mean no one wants to talk about it but let's be honest there's a very high probability that the the most recent rash of mass shootings that we've seen is a product of isolation and masking plays a part in that you can't pretend that it doesn't. You can't pretend that the disassociative factors or, or emotions that come with not seeing another stranger's face for months or years on end, as has occurred in places like New York City and Los Angeles, Chicago, many places, D.C. You can't say that that's not fucking people's brains up, all right? And then you get into the obvious impact that it's had on kids. You can say, oh, it's just diminishing their risk. They have the right. Okay. They have the right. Whether or not it's diminishing their risk, we can argue that separately. They have the right. They also have a right to, you know, wear 
five jackets in a hundred degree heat. I'm still going to make fun of them. It's dumb. It's crazy. It's time that we pointed out. They had no problems shaming everybody else that rejected this nonsense for the past two years. I can't just point out that, hey, maybe this is stupid. Maybe you've lost your fucking minds. Sorry, I'm going to. I'm going to point it out. And you, my friend, can literally die mad about it. Welcome, everybody, back to Day 2 Freedom Fest. I am joined with Epoch Times. Joshua Phillip. I knew, the, I knew the Joshua part, but I forgot the Philip part. I am terrible. Good this, enough, good enough. This man yeah. is a genius, though, and the work that they're doing over at Epoch Times, I have been blown away. I, I recently watched an extended clip of their January 6th documentary that blew my mind, had no idea that there was more than even one person that had been killed that day, or I yep. should say murdered that day. Uh, we can start there. I actually wanted to bring him on to talk more about China because that's probably my greatest weakness when it comes, just because I can't find out what the truth is. It's very hard to find out the truth. I read a lot about it, but I don't know who's telling it, the it, truth. It's not your fault, man. The, the, most of the media is complete nonsense on it, yeah. and, a, and a lot of the Chinese stuff is all propaganda. So. I know. Well, and, I mean, <laughs> it's like, where, where do you go to find it, right? Yeah. <laughs> we have the American yeah. propaganda, yeah. and then we have the Chinese propaganda. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, 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 pick your poison, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, so let's start with the January 6th documentary. Obviously, it was... Uh, not, I mean, I, I don't think it was an insurrection. I'm not going to go there. Uh, I'll just be honest about it. I think that it was a peaceful protest that got a little bit too rowdy. Uh, that's my vantage point. I won't force you to make a judgment there. But what I did discover through this uh, extended clip of the documentary is that, as most people know, there was one woman unarmed who was shot in the neck and died. Ashley Babbitt. Ashley yeah. Babbitt. And I have made a huge... Uh, case in her defense, but I, I was completely unaware that there was other people. I think, like, when I first heard the stories, people were saying that there was a bunch of people that had heart attacks, and that was, like, that's how they kind of covered it all up, yep, so yep. if you could enlighten us a little bit. So, four people died on January 6th. Originally, they were saying, like, you know, police officer Sicknick was killed. Right. They were saying someone killed him with a fire extinguisher. I mean, fire I mean, the, the news headlines were crazy, and people thought, oh, man, like, these crazy protesters who said they're pro-police are, like, killing police, and then starting an insurrection and raiding the Capitol building and who knows what else. And they had the guy with, like, the face paint on and, like, the, the spear. Like, these are crazy people. And, you know, there's four police, right? That, that was George, the narrative, right? George Washington's great-great-great-grandson. Uh, oh, yes. oh, is he really? <laughs> okay. You never, you never, you never <laughs> know. You never <laughs> know. But anyways, basically, this stuff's all a bunch of nonsense. Right. I mean, and what, what we did was, so this documentary, it's called um, The Real Story of January 6th. Mm -hmm. It's come out July 22nd on Epic TV. Basically, what we found is most of the narrative is an absolute lie. Absolute lie. And four people were killed on January 6th. Uh, the one everyone knows is Ashley Babbitt, who was, of course, shot. Uh, shot Actually, the shoulder went through and, of course, killed her. Yeah. It, that wasn't in the neck? No, no, she was shot in the shoulder. Wow, but it went, went, went through, of course. Okay. She fell back and was trying to climb through the window. Really, the story of Ashley Babbitt even is not really well understood. It looks like, actually, that, well, the guy who broke the window she climbed through, she punches him. I did see that. We, we had the video. She yeah. punches the guy in the face and his glasses come up. Yeah. She, she was a southpaw. You know, she hits him, right? Yeah. So, you know, and, we, and go, just clarify to the audience why she did that. She, she did that because she was trying to stop from breaking the window. And then she looks around. She realizes that she's in a room with around 20 or more suspicious actors, people we've identified, 
who really should be in prison, many of whom who are not. You identify that in the documentary? Yeah. These are suspicious actors, people who are, people who are instigators, and who, you know, law enforcement doesn't seem to be particularly interested in for some reason, right? Now, she was killed that day. You also had Roseanne Boyland. Roseanne Boyland was the woman who was in the tunnel entrance. Now, they got, the police threw gas in there, which you don't do normally because it sucks the oxygen out. People were trampling each other, trying to escape. She collapses, people fall on her. You had a human pileup, and the police are beating her unconscious body with a stick. Like, not even a club, just some stick one of the officers found. And they're beating her unconscious body. Now, they pulled, she was alive when she fell. She was dead when they pulled her out. And the police said, oh, uh, that was, uh, she, she was on Ritalin. She was on Ritalin. It was the Ritalin that killed her, not the gas, the people collapsing on her, getting trampled, and then getting beaten on the head while she was passed out, which would kill most people anyways. Yeah. The other two people who died that day were two individuals who did have heart attacks, okay. but they had heart attacks. I mean, what was a stroke and what was a heart attack, I believe? They had, they had heart attacks or heart you know, conditions after being struck with explosive munitions from the police. I think it was, uh, was it like flashbangs or something like that? No, no, they were, they were throwing these grenades that launched these uh, projectiles. They launched these uh, plastic projectiles. Ah, gotcha. Now we have, we have videos of officers using their body cams they had one crazy officer. He's like, you know, I need more munitions. I need more munitions. He's grabbing grenades off of other officers, pulling the pins, and just lobbing them into the crowd just without even looking where he's even throwing them. These individuals, we have videos of him doing that. Bombs go off right next to them. They collapse, and then they're dead. And then they say, oh, yeah, heart attack. Yeah, with, with no leading cause to that heart attack. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is atrocious stuff, and... We are having hearings right now that have been lasting for weeks, even though no one pays attention to no, them. And nobody even watches them. I know, no one watches them. Even, even the Democrats don't care about it. That's the irony. I, of I it. swear yeah. to God, it is just, yeah. uh, excuse my language, but a circle jerk amongst like blue check leftist uh, like writers. <laughs> well, that's, what, that's what Twitter is anyways, you know? <laughs> it is, you know? that's what it is. But, but I'm telling you, that's what those hearings are for. It is strictly yeah. for those people. It's like, it's like Rachel Maddow's audience and no one else. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe that's the audience. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> Well, even, even Rachel Madeline, you're kicking off now. So even, yeah, even, even she doesn't yeah, got that anymore. I yeah. think, I think uh, Rachel may not be getting the kind of ratings that the yeah. January 6th hearings are getting. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, just, just one of the most unbelievable show trials, you know, Potemkin yeah. Village nonsensical things I've ever seen in my life. And, and now we get some of the truth behind it. Can you give any explanation without sounding like Alex Jones as to why these four lives were taken and... No one cares. I'm tempted to do my Alex Jones impression. Oh, I'm going to refrain from that. <laughs> please do. I mean, look, th this is the real story of what happened on January 6th. It appears to have been entrapment, and there's no getting around that. Yeah. And entrapment, I'm talking about entrapment in terms of legal definition right. of entrapment, which we're going to show in the documentary. And this is just breaking down the most surface level of it. If you're a police officer, right? If you're, if you're police, and keep in mind Nancy Pelosi, and Chuck, not, well, Chuck Schumer later, but Ch Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, they were the ones who did not meet Trump's request to have the National Guard deployed that day. True. Trump wanted to have National Guard deployed. He wanted to make sure there was proper security. They were the ones who made sure that did not happen. Them also, Muriel Bowser, uh, mayor of uh, Washington, D.C. It's on them. They were the ones in charge of security. They did not put it in place. They know the Capitol Police are neither equipped 
nor, nor have the personnel to handle crowds of the size, which their own intelligence was saying was going to show up there. They made sure that didn't happen. What happens then? The police, the Capitol Police, who are neither equipped nor manned to handle that kind of situation, deal with it. And then Nancy Pelosi also fires the guy on diversity reasons who would have been in charge that day, who would have done things right. Right? Wow. Now, what happens? Talking about entrapment. If you're a police officer and you're dealing with the right, you're doing one of two things. If you're using munitions, like tasers and concussion grenades and smoke bombs, you're doing one of two things. You're dispersing the crowd or you are arresting people. And they were doing neither. What they were doing was instigating the crowd. They were punching people. They were shooting people with tasers randomly, like literally randomly walking up. We have body cam footage, walking up and just shooting random guy with it. They were kicking people, like doing karate front, front kicks to people. They were throwing munitions way deep into the crowd in places they couldn't even see. So they don't even know where they're throwing them at. They're not pushing the crowd back. They're pushing it forward, right? So it seems like they're trying to create it. When it's on that, that is what you call entrapment yeah. by definition. Yeah, legally. Legally. Not only that, too, but we have a lot of exclusive footage showing, interestingly, we show that the police violated multiple laws across the board, multiple laws on use of force, including things that they should be imprisoned for. Uh, we bring on Stan Keppert. He's the, I mean, if, if you look at the court database of people who can testify in court, Stan Keppert's the number one guy. And he says the, the killing of Ashley Babbitt is a murder. The beating of Roseanne Boylan, very likely a murder. The use of munitions is a crime. Officers, for example, like pushing people off 20-foot ledges and then having them dragged off on gurneys is a crime. The beating of people, like one, one woman they had in a tunnel, uh, uh, Miss White, beating her with a club on the head, committing a, committing a crime. The police were committing crimes left, right, and center throughout the whole thing, instigating the crowd, entrapping the crowd, and then charging them for it. In the meantime, the people who are the real instigators, the ones who are breaching the Capitol building while Trump was still speaking, before Trump was done, the ones who were kicking in the windows and breaking windows and pulling windows off and telling people, hey, why don't you do the rest of it? Why don't you pull off the rest of it and climb through? The people were doing that. We have videos of it. Those people the police have no interest in, right? Well, I have a thesis as to why they're not interested yeah. in those people. I had no idea, actually. That, that is that true that there was people that were trying to break in before Trump was even done. They, they did break in. The, wow. the, 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 the main breach happened before Trump was done speaking. Well, then how did they impeach him over this stuff? Then? So look, look. Trump tweeted, "Be peaceful and go home," and then, and then Twitter deleted his tweet. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a video, wasn't it? I think he said oh, was it. Was it a video? I, 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 know, I know he at least tweeted that. I don't know it was a video. No, yeah. I remember seeing yeah. the video because I, I watched it and it was like, yeah. well, that seems reasonable. And then I and then that, that tweet is gone and then the riots all happen and, you know, the rest is history. Well, what's really, I mean, the hypocrisy is so transparent, but what kills me is the same abuse that the left lamented when mm -hmm. it came to the Black Lives Matter protests where there was... Yeah. very severe riots and some of the police got a little bit too rambunctious with them they were the first ones to call for their heads and yeah. now yep. you get conservatives getting murdered and it just doesn't matter to them it's like i don't understand how anybody takes this seriously and i guess i guess the good news is is that very few people are um <laughs> that, that that's true yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but do you think that there's any hope of these officers that 
murdered people actually being held to account because they have given awards to the guy who killed Ashley Babbitt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. As an uh, officer bird. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, I think there is, but I don't, I don't think it's going to happen to the current administration. Well, I think that's fair. Yeah. I think what's going to happen is if the Republicans retake the House, you're going to see a Republican commission to investigate the uh, January 6th incident. And frankly, they're going to go after not only these officers, use of force violations, murder, very likely, wow. but frankly, going after Nancy Pelosi oh, and, other, and other individuals who were in yeah. charge of security that day, who were the manufacturers of this whole incident that took place. They were the ones who were responsible for it, and the security failures and the bad behavior of the police instigated the crowd because they were violating their own like, laws, violating the laws in order to do what they did, and then somehow got away scot-free. They were the ones who did this, and they are the ones who should be facing charges for it. I, I mean, I've been saying it since, I think, maybe a month after January 6th, I had seen enough footage for me to have some very different conclusions from what the mainstream narrative was. <laughs> it didn't take much. Yeah, it didn't take a long time. You watch a few videos, yeah, right? Yeah, I uh, know. That's exactly what I did. I, the same thing I did with Rittenhouse. I was like, uh, something's off here. Like, why yeah, is this yeah. doing a trail for murder? Uh, and I'm just, I'm just so thrilled that there's an organization out there like Epoch Times that's, that's willing to actually do this work. I guess I'll, I'll pivot to China, but first I'd like to ask, why is it that it seems, you know, aside from Tucker Carlson on Fox News and maybe a handful of other uh, very menial investigative reports, why is it not happening? Why, why is why? people looking into it? Yeah. Uh, I'd say two sides of it. One is they don't already get, they don't already get the footage. So we got a lot of exclusive. Aren't they, aren't they, isn't that their job to get this stuff? You think. <laughs> okay, okay. A lot of them don't get the footage. A lot of them don't really talk to people. A lot of them don't want to do the footwork. And a lot of them just can't put the whole thing together. Wow. But I think a lot of them, too, are just afraid. They, they don't, they're, they're afraid to touch the topic. They're like, oh, if I, if I write about this, they're going to kick me off YouTube. Because YouTube, YouTube will delete your videos for this. Really? If, if you show footage of January 6th, they'll delete your videos. Oh, so, I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Gotta be, well, I wonder yeah. why. Yeah. So a lot of platforms will go after you. They'll try, to, you know, they'll try to attack you for talking about it. They don't want it being talked about. And so you need people who are just not afraid of that. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, sure. Well, thank God that there's a handful of courageous reporters left in the world, and you're one of them. So thank you guys for doing that. Uh, let's pivot to China. This is probably, as I said, the the area of foreign policy, like diplomacy or whatever whatever term you want to put to it, geopolitical turmoil that I cannot get a read on. I struggle with it terribly. I'm good friends with Scott Horton. He tells me that much of it is... Uh, overhyped war propaganda when it comes to the Uyghurs. I, I've read enough Epoch Times to know that you guys feel differently, so let's let's start there. Uh, first off, is is the Uyghur genocide in, indeed that? It absolutely is. I'd, I'd say it's underhyped war propaganda. Wow. okay. And I'd say also that a lot of people saying otherwise typically are taking a lot of money from China. Well, I know Scott of. isn't, but... Yeah, and not, not accusing him, but I'm saying yeah. a lot of times that's the case. Sure, sure. No, I'm sure yeah. it's true. Look, let's put it this way. You, you have people not only in concentration camps, slave labor camps all across China, you have live organ harvesting where they're using them as living sources for organ transplants. Is, do we have evidence of that? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, we do, okay. Yeah, there was just, there was just a, uh, a big hearing in the in, uh, UK, a big hearing that uh, you know, showed all the evidence. And oh, you've, wow. had, you've had independent investigations showing yeah, for I, years. I need to look into that. That's my bad. Falun Gong practitioners, 100 million people, same exact situation, live organ harvesting, re-education through labor, full-on gulag system, torture like you wouldn't believe, women raped with electric batons, not even joking. Wow. Stuff, stuff that, like, 
medieval European like inquisition you would not you would not do to another human being. It's happening in China as we speak. And these sellouts, these sellout politicians, these sellout wannabe China experts turn a blind eye to it, frankly, because they're getting money half the time. Or because they don't want to get the Chinese Communist Party mad at them, or because they just drink the you know, drink the punch and believe whatever Chinese propaganda media is trying to tell well, them. Well, and let's let's be honest, there's a lot of money if you play ball with China. And oh, I there think, is. I think that's why so the speaking of playing ball, I asked Kobe Bryant and them guys. Yeah, well, no, LeBron. LeBron's the real one. Like, yeah. LeBron, that's LeBron, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I, I would love to ask Kobe anything. R.I.P. Kobe, my my hero. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah not, not Kobe. You're cool, you're cool, Kobe. <laughs> you're yeah, cool. sorry about it. <laughs> <laughs> you died before China. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, all right, that's that's one aspect of it. I think that there's the other. I, I would like to know what your thesis is as to the level of infiltration China has into the American political establishment, because to, to, to shocking degrees, the likes of which few people could wrap their heads around. That was kind of my assumption. So I can tell you. So my career at Epic Times started in 2006. I've been there a long time. I've been an investigator since I've been an investigative reporter since 2008. You don't even look old enough to have been working since I was six. I look, I look younger than I am, probably. All right, but um, basically, my career started with this. I accidentally uncovered what you call the United Front Work Department, one of the Chinese Communist Party's largest spy operations in the United States. Wow. They work with the Chinese mafia. They run their operations at the Chinese consulates, and they function. It's a branch of the Chinese Communist Party, United Front Work Department. The side branch is called the. Um, Overseas Chinese Affairs Office doing what they call liaison work for this. They previously also had the military branch. They changed the name of it. Previously called the General Political Department. Now they have full-scale military and political operations dedicated like a full-scale invasion of this country and every country in the world dedicated to, to subverting every politician down to your local city council member inviting them on trips back to China every single businessman, every single decent level journalist, all of them. If you have any influence in the society, business, journalism, you're a professor at a college, you're a politician, you're gonna get approached by them, you're gonna get invited to China at some point, and they're gonna try to you know, wine and dine you and possibly get you to work under their banner. Well, I, I have heard that a lot about academics and, and about having professors in particular like exchange programs and things like that. I read about how some of them were even being brought up on espionage charges. That's a, the torch program is dedicated to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I heard that some of them were actually being like really brought up on espionage charges and, and stealing uh, proprietary data from research projects and things of that nature. Funded by American taxpayers most of the time. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I can't help but lead into this very, very controversial question, but I'm of the belief that COVID came from the Wuhan lab. I'm of the belief that Fauci and NIH and I forget the other guy's name, but they were basically funding the research there. I have to ask if not just that the Chinese government owns, you know, the CCP owns a tremendous amount of American politicians, but perhaps we are in some ways working with them to raise their status. Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And there you have it. I'm not, not crazy. Not only that, not only that, but we have, we have military operations with them. Yes. And to the point where, in fact, I just had an episode on my show about this. You have Chinese military officers, known, known and everything, working in American bio, biological warfare defense labs and bio labs. American that doesn't make me feel great. Labs. And they know, <laughs> they know who they are and they're still allowed in. What the hell? Yeah. 
and you know that they're going to bring that data back yeah. to China. Well, and, and they do it openly. They yeah. don't even try to hide that they're doing it. All right. So how do we fix this? <laughs> I mean, well, things like this, you call them out. Yeah. You look. You look at Fauci. He's he has a tail between the legs, like on some of these things. You know, they're trying to censor it. They're trying to make sure you can't talk about it. And, you know, they, they have. They're, they're, well. they're, doing, they're doing everything they can to shut this down and make sure people can't discuss it. But guess what? People know it. Like. I guarantee you, we're talking about not happy. I guarantee most of your viewers have heard this before. Oh yeah, well, it, I, because of me, I've, I've been yeah. yelling at him for a year. Yeah, you have this guy. <laughs> but, but I mean, that, that's the point. Yeah. They, they tried everything to shut it down, and people still know yeah. about we're it. We're still, we're right? still getting the message out there. At eight or ten thousand people, or however many will listen to this, they'll be like, "Oh wow, it's confirmed. Flint's not insane. He's been saying this for a year." I mean, it just seems so obvious. Uh, it, especially the fact that they cover it up and especially the fact that the lockdowns begin in China that's a that's a reaction to that's a reaction to an airborne you know respiratory virus that we've never seen before in history and then the rest of the world follows suit simultaneously and then we cover up the origin story and it's like okay well I have no choice but to conclude that, that the American government well, all the evidence everything suggests it comes from the lab yes no evidence <laughs> Suggest that it comes from somewhere else. So, I mean, so you, you can draw your own conclusions from that. You know what I mean? We're not making anything declaratory here, yeah. YouTube. Don't yeah. you dare censor me. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I, I think that's actually we've already run 20, so I, I think I'll wrap it there. Go ahead and tell people about Epoch Times where they can follow you, everything else. Yeah, so you can find me on uh, Epoch Times. The channel is epochtv.com, and I'm on Crossroads. Absolute pleasure. I feel pleasure. like we could have done this for an hour, but yeah. I'm keeping them short because I'm going to combine them all. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, pleasure. Thank you. Today's episode is also brought to you by Expat Money Summit. I have had my friend Mikhail Thorup on the show. He is the host and everything behind expatmoney.com with over 30 experts who are focused on moving your life, business, and wealth offshores. They're going to be hosting an online summit, which is free to uh, attend. Go to expatmoneysummit.com. Reclaim your freedom from chaos and uncertainty. Guess who's going to be there? The legend, the greatest living human being, Mr. Ron Paul himself. Topics will include how to secure your own plan B safe haven, how to use foreign currencies, offshore banking, and decentralized finance to safeguard your money, how to legally reduce your tax burden, how and where to safely store gold, silver, and other precious metals, where the best countries are in the world to find freedom for yourself and your family, how you can get a second passport to travel the globe without restrictions and get in and out of different countries' borders. You will also learn about a libertarian island haven, private cities, communities on the ocean, and food and energy independent towns in Latin America. Register now for free, expatmoneysummit.com. This is your way to fight back against what is happening in the world. Stand up, protect yourself, and find out how to secure your new life abroad. Register now for free and come see Ron Paul over at expatmoneysummit.com. Welcome, everybody, to day two of Freedom Fest. I am joined by Heather Wilson. She's one of the founders of Give, Send, Go, the noble enterprise that has filled in the gaps as all these other scumbags have stopped uh, supporting fundraising efforts for people of, I don't even know, slightly off-color political beliefs. Uh, it's really absurd. Uh, so thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you for having me today. Uh, so give us the, the background on why you guys started it, because uh, obviously there was a need, but I can't imagine that you saw that coming in advance, <laughs> did you? No, we had no clue. And I'm actually probably a little thankful that we didn't have any idea what was happening because I probably would have been like, uh, do I want to walk down that path? Now that I'm here, I know why we're here. We started about eight years ago, my brother and a sister and I, because we had seen GoFundMe becoming a thing and we thought, what a great idea. Like, this is super cool. Yeah. We grew up in a very Christian family and there's 12 of us, big family. 
And we were like, you know, raising funds is great, but we also believe there's like a hope that goes beyond funds. And so what if we made a crowdfunding platform where we could uh, let people raise funds and then also share some hope with them? Because most of the time when you're raising funds, it's you have a medical expense that's on, you know, or a tragic accident. And, and we're like, people, hardship. yeah. And so we're like, we'll reach out and like, let them know that there's hope, someone listening to them. And so that's why we started Give, Send, Go, just as a platform to make a difference in the world. Sharing hope with people I, is what we thought. Well, then, and then it became uh, kind of a, a lightning rod for discussion <laughs> and some hate, I would imagine. Uh, what has that experience been like? Because I, it's, it's, I mean, it just kind of goes to show the, the times that we live in where, like, you're literally putting together a platform for, like, for people to help other people, and now... That's also categorized as you know, hate. hate speech. <laughs> it's crazy. It's madness. Absolutely insane. Um, we so we were just walking along, growing year after year, becoming a platform. You know, hey, look at here's an alternative. It's a great platform. Um, and we woke up one morning to our email box full of like hate and death threats, <laughs> and we're like, what's going on? Like, what happened overnight? that we are getting all this hate. Yeah. And, was it written house? And it was written house. Oh, it was written house. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And we were like, what's going on? So we read this campaign. We do a little, you know, we had seen what was going going on with him and we knew what was going on in the world, but we didn't know that he had been deplatformed everywhere. Sure. And so he had been taken down off of Facebook and GoFundMe and all the sites, all yeah. the things, PayPal, everybody. Everywhere. Every, literally everywhere. They said, you don't deserve a voice, which the, is... The full Alex Jones treatment. It's crazy. Like, you don't deserve a voice. Where in America have we ever seen you can't have a voice? Like, we disagree with you so you don't have a voice. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how crazy you are right. in america you have a voice that's why we love america right yeah well that's <laughs> that was the reason i did love america and i'm starting to wonder is this the america that i loved and it, it, i mean we're at freedom fest i think a lot of people <laughs> here are asking themselves that question it's really it's really concerning uh, to be honest it is but you know there is some hopeful things and that's sites like gives and go I and totally causing agree other platforms to rise up and yeah. other alternatives and replacements. We used to call ourselves the alternative and now we're calling ourselves the replacement oh, nice. because we are going to take GoFundMe down. We are watching oh, yeah. our growth year, or week after week. Oh, I, was I was like, wait, year, no. Week after week, we're watching ourselves explode and we're saying, okay, there is a need for freedom. There's a need for freedom and we're seeing it again and again and GoFundMe is our best employee we say because yeah, they yeah, send yeah. so many people over to us they're your marketing arm they are our, it's it's actually crazy it's sad because they're putting their political ideology into their business now you can do that they have the right to do this sure. but there are repercussions and we're seeing yeah. those repercussions happen and so gifts and go decided when kyle came on and he was just raising money for legal fees like, we didn't know if he's innocent or guilty. We saw what everybody else was seeing. Like, we didn't know. Obviously, we had our opinions by what we saw in the videos, but we didn't actually know. We weren't I there. No one knew, really. Exactly. In a couple second clips, the mob of social media went after him because they saw some clips and they, they made their judgment and he was hung by a mob jury. Yeah, exactly. And even to this day, I'll talk to somebody and they'll go, well, he brought a gun against, across state lines. And I'm like, what did you, like... You, they, they didn't watch. They didn't watch. You didn't listen. You took the first thing you heard and you ran with it. And so we saw that happen. We saw 
multiple attacks against our site, trying to take us down, trying to hack us. We saw Discover Card trying, wouldn't allow people to give with their Discover Card to his campaign. People couldn't share his campaign on Facebook. Facebook would take it down. PayPal said, we're not going to work with you. We're like, well, we don't want to work with you either. Um, it was just a crazy, like, thrown into this national spotlight. And we decided at that moment, freedom is really why we were created. And because we, you know, our Christian values say there's a freedom found in Jesus, but there's a freedom that we have been afforded in the United States that it says it's an inalienable right. Like it's, it's a God-given right. No one can give it to us or take it away, right. such as the most recent Alba. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll get there. Oh, but crazy. I just, I just Sorry, to I'm say, like... <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I just wanted to say that, you know, the part of that promise of freedom, that birthright of freedom, is that when your life is jeopardized when it comes to the criminal justice system, everybody has a right to not just a trial, but representation. And, and they're supposed to be presumed innocent well, until that, they're found. Like course. there's so many things that are just course, broken but I, right but now. But I'm speaking yeah. strictly on the, the defense. on the fundraising side for representation for someone, whether they're guilty or not. It's it's such a fundamental American principle. How and they wanted to strip scary. that from And he happened to be innocent on top of it. How scary is it that we can get to a place where we're saying, we had so many people write in and say, take this down, he's guilty. And we said, no, we live in America. If you don't think the justice system is working, then contact your representatives right. because that's how we get things changed. We don't get changed by the mob mentality here. Yeah. That's not what we should be oh, yeah. doing. And how scary to be in a, in a country that at any moment someone could say you're guilty and you have no voice to speak against it. They could just make something up, which is pretty much what happened. Yeah. He got taken his voice, Kyle got taken his voice away, and he just got deemed guilty. And, and almost got his life taken away. Almost got his life taken away. And thank God for a justice system. Thank God for Gives and Go, to be honest, because he was able to raise over $600,000 wow. on our platform, which allowed him bail, allowed him to get the lawyers he needed. I didn't realize it was that much. Yeah. So the, and you know what? One of the things he said, actually, and he, he said, we have a Give Now button, a Share Now button, a Pray Now button. And people would click the Pray Now button and just give him words of encouragement. And he oh, said, nice. one of the... He said the money was great, but like being alone in a cell and feeling like the whole world is against you, to hear people go, no, we're standing behind you, Kyle. We're standing behind you. He said that was almost better than anything, was just knowing that he wasn't alone. Right. Well, especially as it's a 24-7 news cycle of pure vitriol towards him. I mean, I can't even imagine the experience. But let's get into Jose Alba. That's yeah. the latest, in my opinion, quite clearly innocent person. I'm not going to ask you to make that judgment. But... Uh, as far as I'm concerned, about as transparent a case of self-defense as I've seen, and he is now being charged with, is it second-degree murder? Second-degree yeah. murder, which is absolutely, I just, it's almost laughable or cryable. I don't yeah. know which one, like, because you go. It depends on the outcome, this but at is, this point, it's kind of cryable. It's, it's absolutely insane that we can watch a video where a man is behind his counter doing his job. Someone comes in, yeah. threatens him, puts his hands on him. You know, personally, I'm glad he was able to get a gun because this would have been a totally different outcome. I mean, not a gun, a knife. Uh, yeah. If he if he hadn't, I I believe he probably his life would have been gone. It, it, there's a I mean, you don't no know. know, yeah. But it, it certainly looked like the guy meant business, and 
I mean, it's just, uh, again, these are another fundamental right, not just representation and, and a trial, but also to defend your own life if you're being assaulted. And this so we took them down, and you know why? Because we don't support violent crimes. I'm like, he wasn't doing a violent crime. He was protecting himself. There's a difference between self-defense and a violent crime. That's not a violent crime. The guy yeah. coming behind the counter, that's, a violent that's crime. the violent crime. Right. So to take down a campaign because it's a violent crime, it was not a violent crime. Uh, it's so it's, backwards. It's and insane. he got kicked off of GoFundMe again. Yeah. He got kicked off because they said no. But yet, you know, a couple years ago, when all that mess was happening around George Floyd, cities were burning. Right. Our, our vice president of the United States got on and said, give to these GoFundMes to, to support. No, no, of course oh, not. Of course. of course not. I actually need to go look on GoFundMe, see if there's one for the family of the guy who died. There is. You know. Oh, my. I meant to look because I wouldn't be surprised. Well, and not to mention, uh, again, I yeah. won't ask you to comment on this, but the uh, the reason that the guy was in there assaulting uh, Jose Alba was because his her, card her, wouldn't her, work. Her, no, it was her. It was his girlfriend's DVD card that was overdrawn or yeah. whatever, so she could purchase the chips that she wanted, and she sent him in there to go, you know, beat him, in, yeah, wreck him up or whatever it is, up, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but she pulled a knife while during their scuffle, stabbed Jose, and she has not been arrested. So I, the, the justice system is so upside down. I mean, obviously, we hope that the courts get it right or the DA gets it right and drops the charges, but I just can't even wrap my head up. Like, and, and just, then I think about, had that not been on video, Jose would be in jail for the rest of his life for sure. That so, is actually a scary, no, I didn't even think about that, yeah, but that I mean, is so it, scary. It been her, him and her, as the, as the witnesses yeah. and he so, attacked and it would have been a racial or, or, thing or it would have been him, yeah it'd be racial oh because oh, yeah. i'm black he came after right. me and it yeah exactly it is just it is amazing that that's where we have come i i can't even believe it like i and i and i honestly believe that this shift has happened over the past 12 years or so like 2010 to 12 kind of seems like the inflection point and i don't really understand it like i, I I definitely feel as if, you know, race relations, uh, I mean, obviously there were still issues with police brutality and things like that in the 90s. Everyone knows about that. But in terms of just race relations more broadly, I think that it was a way healthier period in the 90s when we were all joking about each other and making fun of our differences as opposed to pretending that there's some sort of fatal flaw with us as people from birth. It's, and now we have this, you know, they, you're either born an oppressor, you were born a victim, and there is real no in-between. And I just feel like that's such a such an unhealthy perspective, and I, even though I'm not a Christian, a very unchristian belief. You know, yeah, it's, it's tragic. And the, and even with Gibsengo, as much as me and my brother, we are we do have that faith background. We welcome people. We have the Church of, of Satan come to yeah, start a start a campaign on Gibsengo, and we, you know, that's cool. we, because that is what freedom is. It's yeah. saying I don't have to be right. All my beliefs and all my things are not always going to be right. Now I might believe them strong and and fight for them but i'm not going to be right in every case right but i can still feel passionate and you can feel passionate and be opposed to me but shutting down that speech is never going to make us better it's just going to make us worse it's going to make it drives us apart and it's just going to make us worse because we'll never be able to argue it out like we used to be able to do and then walk away shaking hands and saying hey yeah Good discussion. Want to go grab a beer? <laughs> I mean, this is this is my hope is that as people realize how untenable this entire way of viewing the world is, 
they will eventually reverse course. I'm just very concerned that it's going to require a tremendous amount of pain before we actually start to reflect on our prior beliefs. And I, I don't know. I don't know. It's I, obviously I believe that there, there's vital uh, kind of a alternative economy or a replacement economy, if you will, and Gibson Go will play a huge role in that. I'm curious if uh, you said that that uh, Discover was unwilling to process payments to you guys. Have you had other threats against your banking, your your other credit processing? So systems? we've had some problems with processors. That so we have backup processors. Okay, we okay. we don't what we call it. We don't want to be parlored. We don't want to be taken down. No, that's, that's why I know? was asking. So exactly. we learned very quickly that. Uh, and we never knew we would even need to be thinking about this no, when we started this, right? Hey, the, just use Amazon, just use this, right. GoDaddy. You know, like, who cares? Like, not, this not is really just an option anymore. Yeah. And now we're going, oh, we have to have redundancies so that nothing can be just yanked out from yeah. underneath us. And the payment processing rails are, you know, at any moment. What if Visa MasterCard I know. says, or like, you know, they, they, people aren't allowed to, to spend their money. Um, there is cryptocurrency. We are on the process of adding that to our site and nice. some other forms of payment wallet payments, more private payments. We're to trying to look at banks that we, because even our processor we have now, they've shut some campaigns down. But in talking with them as we've gotten to know them, it's not because of their ideological stance, it's their bank. Yes. Their bank has, requires them. And so we are like, we need to find a bank. We give Sangonis to become processing. Yeah. So we're like just looking at where do we need to go next to help secure even the future of we get so many emails from people going, who who can we use for yeah, processing? How do we do this? I'm being shut down here and here and here. I, I'm gonna need to know these things too eventually because I, I yeah, talk to you know political dissidents. It's only and, a matter of time. Exactly. So yeah. uh, I mean this I, I'm not gonna drag you yeah. down this rabbit hole, but if you're if you haven't heard of it, I would highly recommend you look into ESG. Are you okay. familiar with that? No, at all? no. Okay. Uh, it's environmental, social, and governance. I'll leave it at that yeah, for now. It was started by the UN in 2004, and basically every major money manager on earth got on board with it. And the S part of ESG is social, which is social justice. And your score and your whether or not you will be funded by the biggest money managers on earth is predicated on how much social justice you propagate. So the reason that you see credit card companies and banks basically debank or you know yeah. fire their customer, which is a bizarre concept, uh, is because of ESG scores. So okay. I just wanted to bring it to your attention because this is this is the reason that this uh, this kind of woke takeover of it's the happening. business world is happening. And it's I honestly I am struggling to find ways that we can defeat it without creating a parallel economy. And uh, because I'm I'm very concerned that you know, if you guys were to get big, yep. and I mean, you're already pretty yeah, big, but if you guys were to surpass uh, GoFundMe, that they would probably try and really go after you. And that is really what we're we're working for. So our eyes are open Good. and we are going, okay, we see the writing on the wall and trying to take these steps, navigate this yes. the best we can. And be, just be proactive. being proactive, um, really trying to just seek out the best way to become that we're, you know, as a business, you don't want to be relying on somebody else right. to run your business. And right now, we rely on these payment rails. Like if, like I said, they could pull it, and we would be, we would be done. Except, you know, we have some alternative things. Right. We're we're working on it. Um, one of the good, not I wouldn't say it's a good thing, but if something good were to come out of all this censorship and all this crap that we're seeing, is that more sites are popping up, more alternatives are coming, and giving. Yeah 
give it because for so long we were so complacent. We yes. all used the same things. We well, and, and the truth was, the the big boys were so good and they weren't censoring that there was like, I don't really need to switch. You know, it's like exactly. I, I, I enjoy my YouTube, I enjoy my Facebook, I enjoy my Twitter, whatever. And now it's like, okay, we are all anyone that has any belief that isn't exactly in line with mainstream progressivism essentially yeah. uh you have no choice but to start to diversify your social media portfolio your banking portfolio like it's it's all i just i hate i hate the trajectory of things i hate that we have to do this but honestly i think it's, it's where we're headed we and you know what we're seeing is all those platforms the youtubes and the facebooks and the twitters they're very sticky the amazon servers they're very sticky meaning We've used them for so many years. Yeah. Like I, I you trying to get off Facebook and you go to another platform and none of your friends are there and you're like, come yeah. over here. Exactly. And then it's like, oh, I'll go back because all my pictures and all my memories and all for the last 15 years That's of my true. life. And so it's so sticky, but you know what? GoFundMe is not sticky because you use it once and then you forget. And then the next yeah. time you need it, you're not stuck there. No one's stuck. So it will be the easiest big tech company to topple and we're out to topple. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Well, I'm rooting for you guys. Go ahead and give us some like background on your growth. If you have the, I don't know if you have those numbers or if they're publicly known. If you can, sure. you know, tell me, tell me what you guys are up to. <laughs> I want to say we're like a thousand percent growth over last year, Ooh. this month. Um, oh, we are just growing. We just switched up the way we do our processing, so it's so much easier, streamlined. Um, people come on; they never have to leave Gibson Go. They don't have to go to a third party. Um, and we're just watching it explode. People are looking for alternatives. And again, because GoFundMe's not sticky, it's not hard to move to Gibson Go. You know, it's not like you have to move all your stuff over. Oh, start a new campaign. Go to GibsonGo.com, start a campaign within minutes, and you can start raising funds. And so we are just watching thousands of people start campaigns and raise millions of dollars we're hiring as fast as we can. We're training. We're, our departments are expanding. And it's an exciting place to be. Well, are you guys taking fun funding? So, you know, at this, I know. At <laughs> Sorry, this, I'm in the basement, so I'm like, I got to throw You know, actually, at this point, Jacob and I bootstrapped this thing. Yeah. And so we own it outright. We've never Ooh, taken investors. I like it. I like and, it. you know, we've talked about it many times early on when sure. there bumps and we didn't have enough. We're like, oh, we want to go to this conference, but we don't have enough for the table or, you know, what should we do? And and as we're throwing every dollar back in, right? And we're like, no. And we were looking at That's investors. Awesome. And so now we're at a pretty good place yeah, going. I would imagine. Just looking, you know, we look for partners, people that might be able to, right. we can help and they can help. But we're not necessarily looking for inventors, inventors, investors at this point, just because we are in a place that we're continuing to grow. And if our growth continues, we are going to, again, I'm going to say it again. For those of you in the back, we are going to overtake GoFundMe. Yeah. And we need you to help though. Of course. You need to say, no, I won't give. Even if your best friend makes a campaign for, on GoFundMe, say, sorry, I don't give on GoFundMe. I don't trust them. And then guess what your friend's going to do? Okay, I'll make a give, send, go. So that's what I ask for you listening today. Use give, send, go, because that is the way we're going to continue to explode and be able to change the world. Because we want to redefine big tech, because give, send, go is going to be big tech, and everybody else will be bad tech, the ones that don't stand for freedom. And so big tech are going to be the companies that come out standing for freedom, making a difference in the world, 
and everything else will be bad tech. So bye-bye, Facebook, bad tech. <laughs> bye-bye, Twitter, bad tech. Although, who knows if Elon Musk, although that looks like it fell through. No, that or, fell through, I know. unfortunately, because I have a big uh, following on Twitter, and I really needed him to buy it. So. Exactly. That uh, was a pretty interesting thing yeah, as well. Well, right? that's a whole yeah, other um, Well, thank you so much. Heather Wilson, give, send, go, folks. If you are still using GoFundMe, you're fucking up. All right. Thank <laughs> you guys for tuning in. I will catch you next time. We're thank out. you. Last but not least, this episode is brought to you by CareerHackers.com. If you are in a position of needing to change your career path, they are the creators behind the Daily Job Hunt newsletter, which gives you information on how to stand apart from your co competition, which that's what it is. In a competitive work uh, workplace, you are going to need to stand apart, stand above, step ahead of your competition. This is how you do it. Go to CareerHackers.com. Sign up for the Daily Job Hunt. It's a free email newsletter that will separate you from the pack and teach you on how to become either an entrepreneur or get that job of your dreams. Either way, go to careerhackers.com. And we're back, round three, Freedom Fest, day two. And I have Daniel Harmon. He's the creator of the TV show behind the Tuttle Twins, the smash hit children's book, and maybe some adults read it too, I don't really know. Anyways, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Clint. Yeah, so, Tell me a little bit about, uh, for those that aren't familiar with the, the series, uh, well, I'm gonna let you say it. So go ahead and give us the backdrop. Yeah, so Tuttle Twins TV show is based on the best-selling book series. So they've sold over 4 million copies. Wow, I didn't realize it was that much. Oh yeah, it's a ton. Incredible. And specifically, it's a book series that teaches kids about principles of freedom right. and economics, things like personal liberty, the golden rule, entrepreneurship, you know, rights to life, liberty, and property. Yeah. You know, really, really basic core stuff um, to to our country, and, and anathema to current public schooling. Yes, and very much, very much filling a void both in what is being taught in the public school system, as well as what's being taught in culture. And so, parents are eating it up, and um, very much sharing it with their kids. Kids are loving it, and just out of curiosity, do you know the split between U.S. purchases versus foreign? Like, is oh, it, is I don't know that at all. No, Connor. So the Connor, the author of the series, he would know more of those kind of numbers. I was just um, curious because I, I would wonder if if there are, you know, if it was like half of it was going to other people in the world. Because no, I think it's I think it's the grand majority in in the U.S. Yeah, uh huh. Yep, absolutely. So um, anyway, the 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 book series reaches a high enough level of success that um, and Connor, the author of the books, and I have been friends for a while. That my team and I approached him and said, "Hey, when he when he kind of started kicking around the idea of making it into um, into a TV series, I was like, hey, what's we we want to make it into a TV series.' And and anyway, yeah, that's kind of where this thing kicked well, off. I'm gonna come out of the closet as having never read, read the Tuttle Twins. So, oh my gosh, I know it's tragic. Is it like <laughs> are the characters like people? Are they bears? What is it? No, yeah. So they're they're people. Okay." Um, in the book series, they're very much people and they're kids that go and learn about concepts sort of in everyday real life. And so that carries over to the TV series. What we've done differently with the TV series and the story is they have, we've, we've incorporated some more sort of fantastical elements and some more science fiction kind of things because they have a grandma with a time traveling wheelchair who, who takes them back to learn from historical figures. She's, a, she's an immigrant from Cuba. And so she has, so yeah, <laughs> well, no, specifically, she, she's, it, well, yes, it, it does fit into that category, 
but more specifically, she, her, she knows the horrors of the results of communism. Oh, and so oh, her right, family right. has left that. We can kind of learn that in her backstory of like, we left this oppression, right? Yeah. And you guys Please don't have to- that the grandma in the wheelchair talks about fetal shapes sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, she, every time she sees a helicopter, she gets all, <laughs> sorry, I'm thinking really inappropriate jokes. This oh, is gosh. not reflected. In the Teletwist it series. is not is purely. I don't even know that I got your joke, and I still laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Peter State was known for throwing communists out of helicopters. Anyway, oh my gosh! Moving on. Wow, um, and I'm right. still glad I laughed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the grandma's uh, time travel. I do not advocate for violence. Just to be clear. Neither do I. It's just, it's just funny. Yeah. Um, so the grandma is a time traveling, handy, capable, uh, elderly woman, young, mm. deprived. I'm sorry. I'm trying to be woke. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, and she takes the kids to meet historical figures. That's awesome. I, I love yeah. the lead in. I think that that's, it just, it kind of, it's, it's perfect for counter propaganda, which is <laughs> essentially what this is. You're, you're propagandizing to your kids. Well, so it, de it depends, right, on the definition of propaganda. Yeah, lot, I, I use that very loosely. Yes. Okay. So if we're talking about, um, you know, government propaganda, yeah, we don't have any government dollars behind this at all. So, no, it's, it, it, it is not that. But in the sense... Well, obviously, you guys are advocating for liberty. <laughs> yeah, that's the government right. would have no interest in it. They have no interest in it at all. But we are basically taking... We, we want to have something that has the educational value of the magic school bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that kind of family friendliness. But mixed with the fun and adventure of, like, Phineas and Ferb and The Simpsons and that kind of satire and that, those types of things. So... That is kind of where the series lives and um, has been very well received by the audience. We did a crowdfunding campaign to launch the series and earn the money needed to produce the first season. Okay. So over 8,000 people invested. Wow. So not a Kickstarter, yeah, yeah. but actually invested. Um, and the show, we were able to raise $3.7 million, what? which is the highest crowdfunded kid show in the history of the world. It, it actually passed um, the 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 series Wakfu that's like on Netflix. Wow. Yeah. So it was very successful. Like there's a market demand for it. Yeah. And then. Well, that's um, evident. Yeah. And then now we've got nine episodes that have been released with our distributor Angel Angel Studios that's known for the Chosen. I don't know if your audience would know anything about that, but essentially they've got an app there where you can watch it for free, and um, it's also available for free on YouTube. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And um, there's nine episodes out in the wild already. We've got three more coming out to finish out the season this Love. year. And we're at, um, for anybody that follows IMDb, Internet Movie yeah, yeah. Database, it's at 8.5 stars, That's, which which is very high. Well, well, it is. It's, it's actually higher than um, anything Disney has released for kids, either movie or film this year. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 8.5 is like nearing tor Toy Story 1. Yeah, levels. yeah, exactly. Really, really it's really like, I mean, the new Top Gun movie is at 8.6, you know, oh, for it? some sort of wow. reference. Yeah. That's, uh -huh. that's a little higher than I would have given it. Uh, <laughs> but I'm also very anti-war, so. Yes. Uh, but it was a good movie. Very, very well done movie, but still, it's all about preemptive war, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my good friend John actually pointed out something that I cannot believe I didn't identify during the movie. This is totally off the topic, yes, but it it's is. hilarious. <laughs> he goes, he goes, what, what movie have you seen where you have to go into like a, a, a narrow alleyway, you have to go down, you have to hit a target about the, yay big, and then you have to pull up at the last minute and right before everything explodes. And I was like, Star Wars, obviously. Yes. And he's like, no, 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 Top Gun, the new one. And I was like, yes. oh, no, that's yes. crazy. There's, like, a, there's, there's, a, there's a parallel there. Pretty similar. For sure. Um, anyway, so you, you obviously were the showrunner for it. 
what what does that entail? I mean, for those that aren't familiar with what a showrunner is, and and what does the uh, the future of this series look like given the success that you've had so far? Okay, yeah. So a showrunner is basically over the creative of the the, the entire project. So oh, really? yeah, overseeing the creative vision. Um, I thought, uh, of the entire story, show, yeah, right, right. yeah. Uh -huh. I honestly thought that a showrunner was like the person that is responsible for finding a production company to make it. No, like, like no, I, I, I have a producer that helps me with that. Okay. So I, I, I was involved in that early on. Um, like a showrunner is actually um, often the executive producer title, got it, got it, okay. yeah, which which I am as well. But but um, I also direct on some of the episodes. Oh, cool. But I'm, I'm kind of directing the directors as well. Did you already answer if this was animated or live action? This is animated. This okay, is 2D this is, animated. Okay, okay. Uh-huh. And um, so, yeah, making the creative choices about kind of what the characters are, what they're not. Sure, sure. Um, about kind of what is consistent with the overall story in the season. And Man. what, and Connor Boyack, who is the author of the book series, he's a co-executive producer it on the project so he actually sits in with me in the writer's room where i'm thinking more about creative he's more more helping maintain the integrity of the principles right, right, right. and the lessons that are coming across so That's he's beautiful. he's very involved um and very hands-on that way the and, reason i love yeah. that is because so often when a show or when a book or whatever succeeds and it transitions into the next iteration whatever yes. that whatever medium that might be oftentimes the originator kind of like they get bought out and it just becomes someone else's property yes and, and i love that you he's still involved to help you know guide as well as obviously you've had great success with the show running aspect because it's being rated so highly so yeah well so to to be clear the book the stories in the books are very different than the stories in the tv show the principles and the teachings are the same that's where connor comes through to carry that through we we like i said we're introducing a lot more science fiction and kind of comedic elements and things like that little, little um, the in the book. Yeah. <laughs> well that is that is it that is an inspiration for a lot yeah, of our writers I yeah that. i mean um not not is so much for me but it, but i've heard it, it is very funny yeah. and so um but shows like gravity falls and phineas and ferb and, and the simpsons and obviously a lot of the pixar things like all, all these are kind of inspiration for us because we're trying to i mean we're trying to go for a high level of quality because we want kids to choose this as an entertainment option over what they have on Disney Plus, Netflix. Right, right, right. We, we want to truly compete. And, and there's a lot of competition. Yes, and to, for too long, the most the important educational stories have been the most boring, and the most entertaining stories have been the most, like, woke communist garbage. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's where we're trying to differentiate. Yeah, no, yeah. I love it, man. Mm -hmm. hey, I mean, there is no doubt that there's a huge void of even remotely liberty-oriented programming for adults or children, but particularly for children, which is really tragic because yeah. that formulates your next iteration of society. And it's yes. like, yeah, I am I'm just so thrilled that you guys not only have done this, but that you've seen so much success. I, I have theorized for years that there is obvious market demand for these types of products, and yet you don't see a lot of them. Oh, yes. Uh, do you know why that is? Is it just simply that, because obviously a lot of people theorize the conservatives just aren't that creative. That's kind of what people yeah. say. You know? And I would say it's the people in the positions that are calling the shots are not conservative. Yes, so, exactly. the, so the arts doesn't necessarily attract conservatives as much 
as um, it's kind of a firewall. Yeah, yeah, a, a little bit, and that's kind of where our our partner, our distribution partner, Angel Studios, is very differentiated. Is that you no longer have to go to someone that's living in the Hollywood bu bubble, go to some executive and say, "Can I get this idea through?" Yeah, because that is very much a firewall, right? Of, of like that that this doesn't fit in my worldview. Why would anybody want it? Right. That kind of a thing, like they're kind of in their, their own bubble, right? Creating for themselves for the award shows and that kind of stuff. Where this received market validation because we went to the crowd, because we crowdfunded, it would have never existed otherwise, but we went to the audience that had purchased the books yeah. and um, a, other, a bunch of like-minded audiences and said, hey, what if we made a whole season of this? And the resounding answer was, yes, we want yeah. to do that. Well, not just resounding, but like demanding. Yes. Like, Please do it. We'll yes. give you money. We'll invest. Yes. Uh, I love it, man. I absolutely love it. And I really, I really think that this is, you know, as much as many conservatives and libertarians like myself don't really want to get involved in the culture war. Yeah. Uh, you got it. Well, you got it. And to some, some degree, um, Breitbart, he, he said, I think it's Andrew Breitbart that said yeah. that culture is upstream from politics, yes. you know? And so, well, yeah, well, yeah, I think so. So what he's saying is the culture is kind of what is kind of what yeah. dictates that. And so that's what we're, we're saying is we can do a lot of complaining about what's out there or we can go out and create something different that can actually influence culture. And we want people not to just learn these ideas because we believe in them, we think they're true and all that kind of stuff. We want kids to think critically about this stuff. Like we have a we have an episode that talks about how disagree doesn't mean enemy. Meaning you can have a, a true disagreement with someone, be on opposite sides of an issue and you can still be friends with them. And it's totally cool and you can respect each other. Could you force uh, that to be part of like college curriculum? <laughs> right. I don't know if there's any group of people on earth that need it more than college students right now. Oh, yeah. That they can actually have a conversation without hating somebody. That's right. It's, it's really sad. And, and But as I've already mentioned, it's like, that's why it's vital that you get it to them when they're a little bit younger, because by the time they've already gone through 12 years of public school, then they're in college with some Marxist professor, and it's like, it's too late. Yes. Like, you're not getting these people. That's so, right. Uh, I really, uh, oh, I, I, I would be remiss not to bring up Eric July, my, my good friend who just came out with uh, Ripaverse, which is the first like independent, liberty-minded comic book series to go along with the Teletwins and their success. And, oh, and Eric just crowdfunded, or not crowdfunded, but rather in his first day of sales, I think he did 1.3 million. Oh, I heard about this. Incredible. Yes. Incredible. So I I just want people out there to take away from this, whether you want to go watch the show, buy the books for your kids. If you do have kids, I would highly recommend you do both. But even if you don't, if you don't have kids, if you're like me, please, for the love of God, take inspiration from this and go out and be that creative. Yes. Stop complaining about the lack of things that we want to buy and go make the things that people like us will buy. I mean, and I'd love nothing more that like we see another hundred Tuttle Twins come out of this. Exactly. You know, it inspires a, a whole new generation. I think there's a real opportunity for that. Yeah, and we'll, we'll create our own ecosystem to compete with these psychos. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for coming on, Daniel. Awesome. Uh, anything you would me. like to leave with people? Um, I think the future's bright. I think freedom, I, like Ron Paul used to say, freedom is popular. I do believe that when we have, I have a bunch of friends that are left of center that have watched the show. We keep out, we remove the labels of conservative and liberal and all that stuff and just talk about the ideas and the principles. And when they watch the show, they actually 
in the majority of the time are like, I actually agree with most of this. And, and I think when you kind of remove some of the, the baggage of those things, they're like, oh, I can actually hear you. I can understand where you're coming from. This makes a lot of sense to me. Right. So I think that's really encouraging. Yeah, well, as long as Tucker Carlson doesn't endorse you guys too strongly, in which case uh, he'll stop watching. Uh, <laughs> no, you're right, though. I, I think, honestly, I believe that our principles, be that libertarian or conservative or whatever else, um, if you can try and detach it from the partisan nature, it'll allow more people to keep an open mind as they approach the yes. product or the, the entertainment. So I'm, I am thrilled for your guys' success. I have been pleading for things like this to arise and... I, obviously, I started my own show to try and, you know, help in that cause. And now we have incredible creators like Mr. Daniel Harmon. Thank you for coming Thanks. on, sir. Thanks, Clint. Pleasure. Okay. Well, that was fun. Back, day two, Freedom Fest. I'm joined by Bryant Haynes. He is of second vote, and he is what I consider a ESG reformist to pair with my abolitionism. And uh, we're going to see if we can have a meeting of the minds, if there's any... I don't know. I'm going to see if he can persuade me or if I can persuade him. I think that's how we're going to frame this thing. So thank you for joining me. Glad to be here. And I'll tell you, I'm open to being persuaded. Okay, good. Uh, so yeah, I, my audience is, is relatively familiar with ESG because I have been beating their eardrums with it for the past year, but really six months I've been going really hard. Once I really felt like I got uh, a handle on exactly what it is, how deep it goes, how nefarious it is, how anti-freedom it is ultimately, how anti-capitalism it is. Uh, I'm curious why you believe it's even reformable. So if you could start there, I guess, and then we'll kind of work from there. All right. So I'll start right at the very beginning of what ESG is supposed to be. Sure. By, by the left. Uh, uh, yeah, by their definition. Right. Yeah. So uh, corporate America has been trying to make itself better, either realistically or by the way they perceive, since the beginning of, uh, of the industrial age. Yes. Time uh, of memorial. Right. Since they existed. Uh, some of it legitimate, some of it just perception, uh, but, they, but they've been working on that. When you look at what is involved in ESG, uh, interest in improving our environmental impact or environmental stewardship, I'm going to argue, uh, our social uh, leadership, not just social impact, but social leadership, and our governance authenticity. Those are three things that have been done right for a long time and can be done right in the future without going far left. So even if you just pick any one of those three pillars or, or elements of ESG, uh, there are parts of the environment that corporations must and should do right. Uh, whether it's you're talking about reducing waste or minimizing your impact or just not doing stupid things to harm the, the environment. Those are good things and we should be doing them. Uh, and, and then when it comes to uh, social leadership, we should be effectively working with our environment, with our community, with the people we employ, with our consumers and our shareholders. Those are all good things. Uh, and then when you look at the governance, we should be calling for uh, authentic leadership uh, in governance. We should be uh, calling for clarity in governance without pushing any any kind of leftist agenda or, or extreme right agenda. Yeah. Well, um, so unfortunately, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, uh, what, they, what they do with all of those three letters, uh, in my opinion, is very separated from what you, yeah. you know, yeah, what you framed as, as potentially a good thing. It, I think that my biggest critique of it, other than the fact that it's obviously just a vehicle for progressivism to take over corporate America, it is. Uh, is that it seems to me that the, the relationship that the governments have with these businesses, plus the central banks that are involved, 
make this an unholy alliance that cannot stand. And as long as you have entities like BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard that are accumulating enormous uh, sums of wealth, well, they're managing enormous sums right. of wealth, uh, and they are doing so and propagating this ESG guidance message, it seems to me that we will ultimately end up with what we saw in Sri Lanka. You know, you'll end up with like whole nations ending up with starvation issues and fuel shortages and everything else. So while I agree with you that many of the stated desires of ESG wouldn't be so appalling, that's not what we're seeing in reality. So how can it be reformed? Maybe you should start by telling me about what your organization is and, and what you guys are trying to accomplish. All right, sure. So second vote, we study corporations. Oh, we study corporations for their uh, philanthropic advocacy policies and, uh, and executives, where they align on various American and Judeo-Christian values. Okay. Uh, we score them individually on those issues, and then we produce a composite score with a weight on different issues. So you're a competing ESG, essentially. Yeah. Okay, I got yeah, it. You can say that. Yeah. With that, we've seen what ESG is doing, and we've seen how harmful it is. And it doesn't address the three critical elements that any business should be doing. It should be focused on the shareholder, the employee, and the customer. Right. Um, if you're not focused on those three, what are you doing? You're not a for-profit business if you're not. No. Uh, so we're looking at taking the teeth out of current ESG. Just remove its ability to do anything. Okay. We, we can't stop this river from flowing. Yeah. You can't suddenly dam it, but you can divert it. So we're looking at helping companies that are uh, that are currently not engaged in ESG, helping them uh, overcome the hurdles that uh, access to capital is is being placed on them and, and compliance issues. Okay. Then I have a perfect follow-up. Why is it that... BlackRock State Street Vanguard will respect your ratings and can, you know, decide to fund these businesses that are ESG competitor sure, compliant. Sure. Well, when you speak of the, the, the powers that you're talking about there, they'll never respect anything that isn't chosen by them. That's kind of my, that's why I was asking, yeah. I, I agree. I don't think we're going to persuade the really big powers on anything. Okay. Uh, but there are other, uh, there's other capital available outside of the, the, the big three. Of course, yeah. Uh, and uh, but still, even with when it comes to government compliance, there the government's requiring some level of ESG uh, plan in place. The SEC just announced a new plan yes, to require uh, ESG compliance. Horrified. Yeah, it's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. So instead of just saying we're going to stop this river from flowing, we're going to divert it. We're going to provide uh, compliance, not just scapegoating, not uh, what's the term greenwashing. Right. We're actually going to deliver compliance to uh, the values that make sense. So, for example, when you look at uh, uh, environmental uh, impacts. Uh, we, I think it's good when you look, I'm a Six Sigma guy, so I think it's good when you look at removing waste from your process uh, and removing waste from your product as well. Those are good things. They, they reduce your cost, they reduce your risk and your liability, and then and then they deliver a better product to the customer. Yeah. But when you look at, uh, if, you, if you're driving your business on uh, global impact uh, uh, from, from the environment or on climate change or on uh, carbon footprint, you're never going to accomplish anything except for appeasing the left. Right. It doesn't make any sense. So how is it that you're going to get your ratings approved under SEC guidance? Because it sounds like that's what you're attempting to do. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so uh, the SEC, well, I'll say this before you even get into the SEC, uh, the left and all of those involved in ESG have been very careful not to clearly define the specific parameters of ESG. 
well, because it's a constantly moving black box that they can put whatever <laughs> they want into it. Right. Why so, would they define it? That would hold them to account. Exactly. And, and the SEC is careful about that as well. So they've left it open. This is their Pandora's box. They've, they've left open. We're going to jump on that. We're okay. going to help companies achieve that. And again, we're not greenwashing anything. If we're not going to encourage anyone who, who has uh, programs that have negative impacts on the environment to claim they've got a good environmental program. In place. I understand. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. But, but moving in the opposite direction of uh, achieving what you need to do as a business, uh, again, focused on uh, investor, employee, and consumer, through effective management of those initiatives, that makes good sense. We can do it, and it can be done well without adopting leftist principles. Well, I noticed that you included consumer in there, which is, in my opinion, the thing that's been lost the most is that the ESG guidance and the businesses that you know propagate it do not focus on consumer demands very much. And it's very disturbing to me because in a, in a truly free capitalism type framework, if you don't focus almost like a laser beam yeah. on consumer needs, you're, you're toast. You should be. You should be. You should be bankrupt. And because of the current paradigm we exist under, whether you offend, deeply offend, so much so that you have, you know, parents that are protesting outside Disney World, uh, and you don't, you don't suffer from that because you're able to, on the back end, your stock will be purchased by the biggest money managers on earth. Right. It seems to me that like that is just a recipe for. Well, I don't know. I, I think over a long enough time horizon, it's it's probable that many of these companies will fail or get so close to failing that even the state streets and the Black Rocks will have to divest of them. Is that kind of what you envision? Like, where does this lead? Well, I think where it leads is returning to uh, sort of the Milton Friedman approach of seeking your best interest. Yep. Companies should be seeking their best interest, not concerned about, I mean, compliance has never been a good motivator um, in any environment. Yep. Uh, yeah, bureaucracy and, isn't usually great for innovation. You know? Not usually. <laughs> yeah, not usually. Uh, and I've worked in a lot of areas where innovation was critical. Right. And if we were focused on on our social impact to the, to the extent that the left wants you to today, we never would have had some of the solutions in place that we have today. True. So, yeah, we, we have to uh, bring corporate America back to focus on what helps that business thrive. Okay. Uh, and if we do that, then we can be effective. Yeah, so that's... That's your goal as a competitor. If you guys succeed and you find another avenue for which SEC compliance can be met without going the full woke nutcase yeah. path, I, I can see a glide path for these businesses to do so. Um, I guess I, I, I'm leaning towards if you can't get <laughs> SEC approval for right. your protocol. Like, well, let, let's start there. Uh, do, it sounds as if you don't have it yet. Is, right. that, is that fair to assume? Right. Okay. And, and what is the process for you to actually get that? Well, so because that uh, seems fine. Yeah. It is. It is yeah. critical. Uh, as soon as we get to the point where the SEC is saying, I disagree with this component, you can't have that, that forces us, it forces them to come to a courtroom and say, what, these are what the parameters we're measuring okay. on. Uh, and suddenly that's not defensible. Yeah. Um, uh, there's nothing constitutional about it. There's nothing in state law about it. Right. There, there's nothing in business about it that would require us to adopt uh, principles that don't make sense to the business. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I think that that'll be a good test, no matter how it plays out, you know, because it kind of will force their hand to hopefully at least clarify what the hell ESG is. <laughs> that would be nice to know. I don't think they will. Yeah, I, I I'm, I'm so. confident they won't. Oh, interesting. Uh, why, are you, why are you so confident? 
they've already making made, made major efforts to reshape industry in the United States yeah. um, and, and globally. And yet they still haven't defined what they are because they're still seeing how far they can push it. As soon as they nail it down, everybody in the world has room to push back because now we know exactly what we're fighting. Well, so, and, and it limits them from, we would think, limits them from progressing with whatever the next lunacy is. Right. You know, right. it's zero food policy. <laughs> <laughs> since, since they're espousing zero carbon, like, I feel like anything's possible. You don't joke. You say that, but it's not even not even funny because <laughs> it's where we're it's going. It's very not funny, uh, actually. Yeah. It, it's where we're going. If, as long as we don't push back, they're going to continue moving forward until I, this progressive thing means no one else moves. You are absolutely right. This is why I have made this such a focus of my show is as soon as I wrapped my mind around it, I understood exactly where we were going. Yeah. And I was like, this is <laughs> catastrophic. Yeah. I mean, this is Sri Lanka. Like people don't believe me when I talk about this, but I'm like, look guys, honest to God, like I know we're the wealthiest nation in the world and blah, 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 blah. And we have all this, this, uh, you know, uh, farm, farmland and, just trust me when I tell you, if, if the USSR can fall, so can the USA. Absolutely. And, and I think that, that people are really struggling to wrap their minds around it, that like this is, as far as I'm concerned, it's an ex existential risk right up there with World War III with Russia. Like, am I overstating it? I don't there. think you're overstating okay. it at all. Not even a little, I wish, I wish you could I say wish, it. I wish I was too. I wish you could say it a little more affirmatively <laughs> uh, because that's where we're heading if we don't start correcting this. Yeah. You know, one of the things we do at Second Vote is we, for 10 years we've been studying corporations to help consumers align with their values and their purchasing. And now we're helping businesses align with their values and how they operate. Uh, and that, that immediately brought us to uh, what we're calling true ESG. Uh, so let's let's actually focus on what is in, with, in, in the elements of, of ESG and what isn't, what doesn't make any sense sure. for the business. So for every business, the elements of ESG are different depending on what their business is. Should be, yeah. yeah, it should be. Yeah. Uh, so, we're, we're helping we're helping businesses now align with what their values are okay. and and what makes sense for their investors employees and consumers yeah well i think that's uh, another interesting question is why is it that so many investors is it just the fact that so much money went into index funds and pensions that that the voting rights of the shareholders got consolidated all with these handful of major money managers that were able to vote this stuff into I think there's some of that, but but it's it's a little bit deeper, a little bit grosser. Okay. In, in, in that, on me. <laughs> I, I think it's about creating the the perception that it's the only way to go forward, mm -hmm. that, that it's required, and you can't do business if you don't. I mean, the fact that the cost of capital is higher without an ESG plan is a pretty good indicator, right? Yeah. Well, but, and, and the fact that Larry Fink says it flatly. He says, yeah. you will be out of business within five years if you don't do what we're saying. It's like, it's wild. And, and how many businesses does it make no sense at all for them to do that? Yeah, well, I, most, I hope a lot. Yeah. Most of America. Yeah. Uh, in fact, those that are in it already need to correct their course or they're going to end up losing control of their own business. Well, I, I totally agree. I, I guess this is another good question. Why, why is it that so many, so few CEOs have been willing to do the right thing, in my opinion? because. Mm. It, it seems, you know, just you don't know anything about my background, but I ran a couple hundred million dollar mortgage fund and I had a lot of responsibility. And it was like, I would never have allowed this to implement my or infiltrate my company. Is it just strictly the the leverage that they have over purchases of the stock? I, I No, I think it's broader than that. Again, I, I think it's this uh, I think it's this message that they're presenting and they, they they're pretty effective at it. 
They convey, convey it through all forms of media, uh, social media, uh, uh, television media, everything. They're convincing people that this is what's required. And then they've got this, this, uh, this administration that will repeatedly introduce requirements that have no legal background. And as long as it creates a baseline of, of effect, mm -hmm. then when they get turned around in court, they're okay with it because we, we had the effect we wanted. We pushed the boundary. Now we can push another boundary. They're, they're uh, what's it called? They're Raptors testing the fence. Yeah, they are. You know? God, it's horrifying. Well, I, uh, I really, obviously, I'm, I'm rooting for you guys. I, I hope that, that you can create another lane so that we can kind of work around ESG because, honestly, my conclusion over the past couple months has just been that we're ultimately going to see a collapse of our economy because of this stuff. <coughs> and we probably won't have significant reforms in terms of, like, the consumer demand and also just people's mindset until we see enough pain. And I think that we're already suffering part of this pain. I actually theorized yesterday that uh, I think that lockdowns probably wouldn't have been possible if it weren't for the mentality of ESG where you had this kind of technocratic, we trust the experts, they're better, they're better than us, they're smarter than us, we'll do whatever they say. Uh, very, very disturbing trend, you know, especially for Americans. Like I can understand some totalitarian country and their people going along with whatever right. Lord Fauci says, but uh, do you think that that has any correlation? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, the, the, well, what we're seeing is uh, the ability of governments and large corporations to affect perception in the marketplace. Yes, uh, like and, in ways that I've never imagined possible. Right. Scary. So, and it's beginning, becoming more powerful. Yeah. Uh, and that's where part of my background is, is using systems, using technology and uh, artificial intelligence mm. to affect change in areas where you may not be able to directly control the change. So wow. uh, the, the masters of ESG have no literal control over us, but they can do a whole lot to push us in the direction they want. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to take you down the conspiracy theory route, and you can choose to <laughs> not answer this question if you don't want to. It's no, no problem. Uh, my belief, I, I didn't bring my tinfoil. Yeah, well, I, I got some in the back. I'll get, I'll get it for you. Uh, my, my thesis has been that along the same lines that we had this long march through the institutions, as they call it, where there was kind of this Marxist infiltration of academia, where you now have professors that are espousing basically verbatim what you would see from an ESG guideline. Uh, and now we are witnessing the, the long march through the institutions of corporate America and corporations the world over. Is that coincidental? Gosh, that's going pretty deep. I don't know. <laughs> that's deep, I know. I, I, and I don't have an answer. I, I'm genuinely asking because it's like, it just seems a little bit too perfect for me. And I'm like, all right, so this starts in academia and then about... You know, as soon as those kids that are the most woke start to graduate, all of a sudden, corporate America just instantly becomes this woke hellscape. And a lot of people have argued, well, it's the college graduates that are coming out and they're getting into HR. So I'm like, these people are too young to have like real power in the business. Uh, but maybe I'm think. wrong. You would think. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. They certainly come out of college with the idea that they should immediately be the CEO. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's so, true. So maybe, Entitlement is, is definitely at an all-time high. Amongst my uh, younger peers. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate your time, man. I I don't know that I I have, I don't know if you made me feel any. No, you made me feel better. You made me feel like there's a, there's an actual path for fighting this without total collapse. Um, I I think if we don't fight it, we might as well give up and walk away. I don't, and I'm not willing to do that. I preach, brother. That, this is <laughs> this is exactly why I do the show. Uh, go ahead and tell people where they can find you, sure. help you. 
All right, great. If you go to secondvote.com, you can read all about us. You can uh, you can see some of the scores on companies at the composite level, and then if you subscribe, you'll see the scores at individual issue levels. Uh, and then and we score companies on uh, basic freedoms, life, uh, civil safe society, education, environment, and second amendment. Oh, interesting. Okay, I like that. I like that. You're speaking my language now. All right, as you can tell. Uh, I like it a lot. Anyways, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I will catch you in probably 10 minutes. We're out. Right. Tomorrow I will be having on Richard Grove. He is the genius behind Grand Theft World Podcast. I have affectionately dubbed him the Scott Horton of conspiracy theories. This man is an encyclopedia. He absolutely dives deep, deeper than me, and uh, he's just brilliant. I think you guys are going to enjoy the hell out of it. As always, if you want to support my work, obviously like, comment, subscribe, share the show. That's the best way to grow it. Uh, we're doing like 8,000 or so listens and views per episode on average, oftentimes north of 10,000, depending on the guests that I have. It's just amazing. I get to live out my dreams because of you guys. And also, if you'd obviously like to support my work and help me grow it, market it further, go to libertylockdown.locals.com and we will keep this keep this train on the tracks, as they say. libertylockdown.locals.com. I will catch you guys soon. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening. Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feppin'. A typo in Luke might bring the nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit. Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcaster sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running out, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house The malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky's Mouton was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic I rip a 59 Miles to ratio That black guns matter Now all these lefties Got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war But we're ready You know I be bopping And rock steady Liberty lockdown Please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone But yeah it's on hold Where did it come from And where did it go It requires a fight Not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king Get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought You've always got a home The virus you're scared of Will come and it'll go The government knows this Don't get treated like a hoe Thank you.